0: Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. This, this is Bump and Stacy On Seattle Sports. Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go
1: now. One of our favorites and yours. Joining us right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, it's Jason Churchill, a prospect insider in the Future Star Series. Uh, Church, how's it going?
2: pretty good uh hanging in there, you know i like i like saying that, I like saying hanging in there, but i gotta be honest with you. If I were doing any better, I'd be jealous of myself. So I hope you guys are uh, doing pretty well too. Yeah, you got to keep yourself uh,
1: humble when other people ask. You're like, ah, I'm, you know, I'm powering through.
2: Yeah, so I just say hanging in there, right? Yeah. Like that—that that works. I don't want to brag.
1: Yeah, you can't be like I'm thriving, <laughs> 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 doing amazing. Thanks for asking. Hey, uh, I'm going to start by throwing you a question that we were asking ourselves a bit earlier in the show. Is mm. it time to give the Mariners some more credit for their off season? What do you think?
2: Yeah, uh, I've been preaching this. Like, you got to separate what's going on with the ownership group and the freezing of payroll or whatever's going on there. And what Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander in the baseball operations department has done because it's last night I called it sorcery. Like you take away the wizard's wand and he's still casting spells and, and, and getting Polanco and putting together uh, a lineup with Rayleigh and filling the bullpen uh, with Gregory Santos. Like like what they have done and how they've had to go about it. Like you just you take away all their weapons and they're still getting it done. I think maybe the football equivalent, like on the field, is. Geno Smith has Geno Smith has to throw with his left hand, and there's no DK Metcalf, and there's no Tyler Lockett, and there's no, and he's throwing to like backup left tackles. Like that's what's going on in that front office over there, and they've still pulled off a pretty solid off season, and they're in the conversation right now in that American League West. They're at least in the conversation, and that is remarkable. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, Church. That was going to be my question. Is that when you look at their division, man, we know that it's tough. Obviously, the Rangers, World Series champions, are there. Um, how 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 big is the gap? How big was the gap about six months ago? And how big is it now?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the win loss record told us where, where the gap was. Uh, Houston and Texas finished with ninety wins. Seattle finished with eighty eight. But then Seattle went backward. Right? They started their off season. They let tail walk. They traded away Kalnick. They traded away Suarez. Uh, and they went backward. And it's like, all right, well, where's Houston now? Where's Texas now? Where's Seattle now? So I think that gap maybe got to five, six, seven games, and then Seattle's closed that gap a little bit. You know, Houston made the Josh Hader move, and and Texas really hasn't done a whole lot. You know, they're really, really uh, trying to fortify that bullpen and that rotation. I expect them to do that. So if you're sitting back kind of watching what the Rangers and the Astros are doing, I think there's a big move from the Rangers still coming. But the Mares have closed that gap. They're right there. And if some things bounce their way just a little bit, we're talking about three teams that can win between 90 and 92 games at this particular point. I would say Seattle's probably the third-best roster right now, but they just have to have a couple of things bounce their way. Maybe Bryce Miller takes a bigger step forward than we expect. Maybe Bryce Wu takes a bigger step forward than we expect. Maybe they're a little healthier. And I think the wild card in this lineup is going to sound funny. I think the wild card in the Mariners lineup might be Julio Rodriguez. This is a guy with absolute MVP superstar ability at the plate. Ignore what he does on the bases. Ignore what he does in the field for a second. Because he's already a star when you include those things at the plate he has that kind of ability to where he can win mvp with his bat alone we haven't quite seen that yet but he's capable of doing that he's 23 years old it's year three maybe this is the year and if he goes out and does that puts up mvp offensive numbers this is a completely different lineup
1: Shohei not in the american league anymore also not pitching this mm-hmm. year uh who's who's maybe given julio a run for his money still in this league
2: yeah, you know, there are a lot of good players in right. this league. I, I, You look around, I mean, Mike Trout is still there. If he plays 140 games, he's going to put up a six or a seven-win season. And he's probably not the same player he was, you know, six, seven years ago. But he's still very, very good. I, Corey Seager, if he's healthy enough, gets 130, 140 games in, he's an MVP candidate. Marcus Simeon is still there. Um, you look into the uh, uh, the American League Central. I still think Jose Ramirez is that 5-6 win type player that just didn't necessarily have a great year last year and he's not really protected. He's a little bit like Julio Rodriguez where he's trying to kind of do everything himself at times because they just don't have that length Mm -hmm. in lineup but I I really like Bobby Witt Jr. to take a big step forward and be basically the Julio Rodriguez of the American League Central and we know what's going on in the East. You know, Rafael Devers can really play. The Yankees have some guys Aaron Judge is healthy. He's as good as anybody in Major League Baseball and they picked up Juan So the Rays obviously have a bunch of guys that can really play Andy Diaz is a great hitter Randy Rosarina is a complete player so there are a lot of good players in this league I think the next 10 years might be Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt kind of leading the way
0: though that's going to be a lot of fun oh that's great news I love to hear it. I love to hear it. um now, you lose power when you when you get rid of Geno and you get rid of tail, but obviously uh, you lose a whole bunch of strikeouts as well. When you look at this lineup the way it is right now, do you see more power and less strikeouts?
2: I see very similar power and certainly more contact in, in certain spots. I think the big thing that they've done here is they've balanced themselves from a – not just from a handedness standpoint – But from a a, a hitter type standpoint and a hitter strength and weakness standpoint, I was talking about this yesterday, but think about last year when, you know, even when Julio Rodriguez did go into some of those funks, what, what what were pitchers trying to do to him? They were, you know, hard stuff, get ahead, and then sliders away. Well, that was the same exact thing you did to to, to Teoscar Hernandez. That's the same exact thing you did to Ty France, the same exact thing you did to Eugenio Suarez, and that's the same thing you did to Cal Raleigh when he was batting right-handed. They were easy to pitch to. I don't think that's going to be the case this year, and I do think the lineup is longer, and I do think there's going to be more contact. There'll be more runners moved up. There'll be fewer rallies killed by the pop-up in the strikeout. I just think they're just going to be a lot more consistent from the get go, instead of the up and down we saw, mostly down last season. I mean, when was the only time we really felt good about that offense? It was like July and, and August, right? Yeah. The rest of the season, it was like, man, it's just they struggle just to get runners on and get runners over. I just think they're going to be a lot more uh, consistent with that this year from the start of the season.
1: I don't disagree with you at all for that one, though what I think a lot of fans are nervous about, maybe Haniger swaying this a lot. You've got Garver, Santos, Polanco, mm-hmm. is obviously the health. Do you think that, that that you could have almost any lineup and we could look at injury history and go, oh, no, this might happen? Or do you think there is a real threat to injury with this lineup in particular?
2: I think with Haniger in particular, and yeah. to be honest with you, if Jerry DePoto was honest about this, if Justin Hollander was honest about this, if Scott Service was honest about this, if Brant Brown was honest, like I don't think they're expecting a whole lot from Mitch Haniger. They're mm-hmm. hoping, can they get 80 games out of him? Can they get 100 games out of him? And what can they do? What can they devise from a usage standpoint to keep him healthy? Can they play him three or four days a week? Can they make sure he never plays four days in a row? Mm-hmm. Can they make sure he gets a DH day or two here and there to just keep him fresh and to keep him off the I.L.? Because to be honest, with if you told me at the end of the year he had 350 plate appearances, that would be a win for me. I, I just would not expect a whole lot from Mitch Haniger, And I think that's one of the reasons why they really wanted to go out and get another infielder in particular. And I think the big thing there is that frees up Dylan Moore to play more outfield. You don't need Dylan Moore to play the infield a whole lot. Because last year, remember, the idea was he'll share second base. And then he was hurt, and then it took him a little while to get back going. This year, they might need him to play the outfield. He might be their third best defensive outfielder. To be honest with you, I think I don't think Samad Taylor or Sam Haggerty is going to make the club. It's Cade Marlowe, and when Mitch Haniger comes out of the game, it's Dylan Moore. So I just think Mitch Haniger is kind of a bonus. Like if he gives you anything anywhere near one of his full seasons, it is a huge bonus. I gotta tell you, if you told me right now Mitch Haniger played 130 games and basically stayed off the IL in 2024. I'd say the Mariners might win 95 games because I'm not including that in my prediction of with them winning 88 to 91 games. I just think Mitch Haniger is kind of a half portion, kind of half a player in this equation. I just don't think you can count them. I think the Mariners learned that lesson a couple of years ago.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's been tough. Uh, Mitch having bad luck, man. What broke his forearm over there, over there last year. Um, now this is a, a new team, but with familiar pieces, right? You still got Julio and Cal JP, Um how does Julio's leadership kind of fit into this? Because you mentioned Mitch is back for his second time around. You got Garver. You also have Blanco. Right. Do you think it's going to be tough for Julio to take the next step in leadership with all this change? Or do you feel like his personality is, uh, is at a place to where he'll be comfortable in that situation?
2: Yeah, I think he's a different kind of leader. You know, he's not the rah-rah kind of guy. He's vocal, but it's more like joking around, comfortable with his teammates, celebrating his teammates, I think that's the kind of leader he is. I'm not sure if a 23-year-old uh, Julio Rodriguez needs to do a whole lot more than that, especially when you have JP Crawford is still there. You know, they have leaders on that uh, in the bullpen. They have leaders on that starting staff and I think Cal Raleigh's probably the guy from a leadership standpoint that probably takes the biggest step forward, you know, this year and even next year. Catchers tend to kind of have this mentality that They're the captains, you know, uh, of the field in front of them. They're calling the game. They're working with the pitcher. They see everything. I really think Cal Raleigh's that guy. But from Julio's standpoint, he just needs to keep being himself. I mean, people are going to follow what he does and feed off of his energy. And if Julio Rodriguez, if you're struggling, if you're Ty France or you're Kate Marlowe or you're Lance or you're Luke Rayleigh, and Julio comes up to you and says, hey, man, you know, taps, hey, you're good, man. You're fine. That's going to be a boost just because it was Julio Rodriguez that that's leadership when you're Julio Rodriguez. Now if you're not a very good player, guys, and you try to lead Man, you have to be a psychologist. You have to know exactly (laughs) what to say. You have to be a counselor. You have to be a kindergarten teacher. He doesn't need to do that. Just be himself, and the leadership's just going to come out.
1: Yeah, I remember hearing about um, Scott Service talking about Robbie Ray being a huge leader and and how hard that Mm -hmm. must have been when you're injured and you can't go out and actually help. But, I mean, being a veteran, obviously a Cy Young winner, he's kind of got, as Bump would say, he's made deposits. (laughs) So he's he's able to pull on those. Um, Hey, so when I look at the lineup, uh, and and I'll include uh, also the rotation, the bullpen, I feel like I had a lot of questions answered over a series of moves that they made. Do you have any lingering Mm -hmm. questions about the roster?
2: Yeah, for me, it's mostly the the back of the rotation. I really don't like the idea. They traded DeSclifani in in the deal to get Polanco, which they had to do, you do it. But uh, right now, they're in a position where if the season started tomorrow, it looks like Brian Wu would be in the starting rotation from the get-go. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I just don't like the idea that that's really the only way they can go at this point. It's either that or you're starting the season with Austin Voth in the rotation or Emerson Hancock in the rotation or Darren McCacken in the rotation. They don't have that veteran to to take over that five spot. If you determine, hey, maybe Brian Wu should go to the minors, work on whatever he needs to work on to combat left-handed hitters, and maybe curb his workload a little bit i mean this is a guy who hasn't pitched all that much has the surgery in his in his history maybe take it easy a little bit because i'd rather do that at the beginning of the year than have to sit him like they did a year ago because he's thrown too many innings and we're worried about the workload and he's starting to tire and things of that nature they just don't have that guy i think that's the one missing piece There's a couple of free agents out there that are really interesting. But the problem is guys like Michael Lorenzen, uh, Injun Ryu is out there. But the problem is how do you convince uh, a guy like that to take a short-term deal unless he's guaranteed to stay in the rotation? I think that's the battle right now with the front office and trying to fill that spot. But I do think you have to add someone that gives you an option in case you determine Brian Wu needs to go to the minors or maybe Brian Wu should start the season in the bullpen. I just, I'm not real comfortable with that number five spot with Brian. we just handing it to him at this point. Other than that, I think they're ready to start the season to be honest with you. We're certainly ready for pitchers and catchers report and got to get that going and see how that bullpen works out.
0: Churchill, uh, One of the things that I, I appreciate is the, um, the perception of stability. If you eliminate like the health uh, risk of some of these guys that you picked up, right? Because after the season, we're like, dang, going to two platoon second base, going to two platoon third, who's going to be in the corner of the outfields? And, and now you got names in those spots. and You might have already answered this question or alluded to it, uh, but who's going to be that guy? Who will be the utility guy now to uh, to come off the bench and, and help out at second and third maybe in the outfield? You mentioned Dylan Moore. Do, do you see him as being, I guess, in basketball terms, the sixth man, first one off the bench?
2: Yeah, at least defensively, from a versatility you know standpoint, I I don't think he can really be your best offensive player off the bench, and and I think that guy's probably Dom Canzone at this point, who's probably also going to get some starts, but when he doesn't start he's the first guy off the bench when Mitch Haniger has the day off. Maybe he's the first guy off the bench. When Luke Rayleigh has a day off, maybe he's the first guy off the bench. I don't think Mitch Garber is a 130 game guy either. He's only played hundred games once in his career. He's only played 90 or more twice in his career. So even if he doesn't catch a whole lot, we're not talking about a guy who's starting 140, 150 games at DH. So he's going to be starting some of the games on the bench. So they'll have more opportunities to bring multiple guys off the bench, you know, in close games when they need an offensive performer. But yeah, I I think so from a pure bench standpoint, I think Dylan Moore's that guy. He can play second. Uh, He's your backup shortstop. I think Rojas can also play shortstop. Dylan Moore can play third, and he can certainly play the outfield. So he's that one guy that we know is going to be, as long as he's healthy, on the roster that can play all of those positions. He can run. Uh you know, he can really hit left handers, hit for power, get on base. We never see him hit for average, and I think that's why he's a little bit underrated. But yeah, I think he's that guy. I think he's the first guy generally off the bench in those situations when you need someone to steal a base or to fill in a position.
1: Jason is host of the baseball Thanks podcast. You can also subscribe to his Mariners After Midnight newsletter. He is Jason Churchill, Prospect Insider and Future Star Series. Kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Thanks, Church.
2: Check. Hey, you got it. Thanks, mom. Thanks, Daisy.
1: See ya. All right, the 89th Sports Star of the Year Awards are coming up February 15th. KJ Wright is this year's host, and Seattle Sports will be there as well to celebrate the biggest sports stories and stars of 2023. Find tickets and info at seattlesports.com/events. Let's get to headline rewrites. Extra, extra, real about it.
3: Headline. headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the
2: headlines in today's news with and Stacey. Headline number one, the Mariners, as we just talked about with Jason Churchill. They acquired hard-throwing reliever Gregory Santos from the White Sox in exchange for prospects Prelander Barroa and Zach Deloach. What's the real headline? Just
1: build the whole bullpen out of guys that can throw 103. It's easy, guys. That gas. Come on, throw Hello. that! Gas. Everyone's doing it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: everybody's doing it. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's throwing gas. Yeah. You no, know, my man is on point. Um, leans on the slider 52 percent of the time. Throw that sinker about 43 percent of the time. Um, and has some stuff. Strikeout rate of 22.8 percent, and only walks about five percent of the time. Again, another guy on paper who looks good. Last season has some elbow inflammation he has to deal with, but um, as a pitcher, I would assume Brady at some point you deal with some type the inflammation of the elbow because that is a weird throwing motion.
2: Yes, no matter what you do, if you're not just throwing straight fastballs, even if you are throwing straight fastballs, depending on your arm angle and how often you throw, you're going to get some inflammation just
0: depending on how bad you let it get. Yeah, my elbow's inflamed uh, from throwing a uh, footballs at a at a session the other day. So I can imagine, and I don't throw the gas like that, you know what I mean? So yeah, but I, I love this uh, this addition, man. We worried about the bullpen. They addressed the bullpen. Should be good with uh, Munoz and Brash to kind of help Santos out with this whole thing. It was
1: interesting to hear. This doesn't have to do necessarily with Santos, but with how the the lineup and roster and bullpen is right now. It was interesting to hear Church talk about the importance of trying to find that leadership somewhere. And where do you look for it when you send away someone that had it in spades? And obviously you have Julio or you have Cal and you have guys that perform and can be those leaders. But I'm curious to see who emerges. I mean, maybe it is someone like Santos, but I'm curious to see who kind of emerges as a leader this year in a a surprise role.
0: Headline
2: Rewrites. Headline number two: The Huskies will reportedly hire former Patriots assistant Steve Belichick as their new defensive coordinator. What's the real headline? It's
1: because Jed Fish had to continue his tradition of having a Nepo baby on staff. Nepo
0: baby. Man, got to yeah. do it. He's a Nepo, but he he earned it. He's yeah. been in the game 12 years. The last four seasons, he's been the defensive coordinator for the Patriots. And uh, despite what you, what you think about their overall record, they've been they've been decent. Uh, Seventh best on, on third down conversions last year. Uh, 14 points per game last year. That's 11th. They were third in 2021 and eighth in 2020. Um, they lost three games last year where they held their opponent to 10 or less points. 10-6 loss to the Colts. 6-0 loss to the Chargers. 10-7 loss to the Giants. I believe if they win those three games. Are around seven games, so um, I know we look at the New England Patriots and, and the fall off of Bill Belichick. Then you hear his name, his son's name, Steve Belichick, and go, oh, of course he's getting an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I forget what you think about him. I know he has a history and doesn't take the the greatest pictures. Not very photogenic, but my man can coach some football. He's been around the game for a while, so now we'll see what he looks like as he steps out of his dad's shadow and is over here, at UW calling plays.
1: What if what if Steve Belichick always thought he's incredibly photogenic? Like, What if he's always thought like the one thing I can say about myself is to I'm him. very like, photogenic? What do you mean? I'm Good yeah, for him. He's Kinda, here, he's arriving absolutely. in Seattle. They're driving in a little, you know, like cab or a little, uh, you know, van thing from the airport, a little sprinter van. Okay, like, let's tune into Bump and Stacy. And then they <laughs> hear Bump, you know, like, yeah, so what if he's not photogenic? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me,
0: let me tell you something. My wife and I have figured out. 15 years into our deal that the older we get, the less photogenic we are. And we took a picture. We're like, we don't even know how to take pictures no more. No. So when we see like old folks taking those weird pictures, we're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're headed that way. Because we don't know how to take pictures no more. It's I truly crazy. don't.
1: I just kind of like smile at the camera. And then you see people making fun of how older people and also millennials, which I'm including in two separate categories intentionally, uh, take photos. And I'm like, yeah. We do do that.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to do it no more.
1: I, I do. I do the I hand retire. on the hip and just the <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> headline. We headline
3: number three. The Coog the Cougs took down UW ninety to eighty seven in overtime
2: on Saturday, and are now tied for second place in the Pac twelve. What's the real headline? I never
1: thought I'd say this, but as a Husky, I'm jealous of the Cougs.
0: You've You would be jealous of the Cougs a lot more if you just really dug into who the Cougs really are and what we stand for. Would I? Yeah, you would. You've never been to the Palouse. Yes, I have. You never got loose in the Palouse. Uh, I went
1: there one time and I went to, there was a nice Walmart. Um, I went to the Starbucks that was there. I went to the bar that has the stuffed uh, Cougar in it. Mm -hmm. And it has, it was nice. People were very friendly. Um, that's all I did
0: Yeah, but you got You got, you got surface paloots
1: Okay, I didn't get the paloots I'm, I'm, gonna,
0: I'm gonna take you To the, the basement Of a frat party <laughs> No, I don't wanna do that Where well, the floors Are sticky
1: I, do I don't wanna do it I don't wanna do it
0: Hey, that was dad's weekend I can pass for it They forward. would think it, You guys cops uh, this <laughs> <age>. <laughs> Yeah, exactly
1: We roll in They're gonna be like Someone's parents are here
2: Definitely uh, Whose
1: mom's here? Walking Hello, fellow kids How's it going? Hello, children I know you can uh, always
3: go back to college.
1: Oh, God. It's just, you couldn't pay me to sit in a class full of 18, 19, 20-year-olds.
0: Nah. Like, I don't know how ages. you that work regularly is, with kids. It's different.
1: I mean, obviously, it's different. You're a coach, and there's, like, a mm-hmm. level of respect. Young yeah. people intimidate me so much.
0: I don't understand that because they're scary
1: because they're they're cool and part of me is like why do you care whether a 21 year old thinks you're cool you shouldn't who cares they, they barely are able to drink. But then another part of me is like, but I'm old and I need their approval. And they're so cool. They're so cool. Do you think you
2: guys could get better
3: grades now with the knowledge no. that you have? No. Oh, no, absolutely not. Our no. brain don't no. fire off the same uh,
1: yeah. way it does in there that department. There are things that I <laughs> nah. paid to learn as obviously someone who, who um, is still paying off student loans. But and I, now I'm like, I haven't used it since. I took that one class where I learned that one thing. Never used it since.
0: no nah, it's gone. Yeah, yeah all my it's, math it's never knowledge. Back. My kids asked me for help for math the other day. Say, I go, hey, bro, check all this work. Dude. When did you
1: have to tap out? Well, first of all, kids learn math differently now yeah. than we did. Yeah. And secondly, when did you have to tap out of your kids? This, math work?
0: this was the first year my son's in uh, eighth grade and uh, he's doing like ninth, tenth grade math. I go, yep, I'm, I'm no longer of use to you, sir. <laughs> Uh, Geography, biology, like I got you, but math, I'm tapping out. I
1: truly, and this is a horrible example. Do not do this, but I can say it now because I have my uh, high school diploma and you can't take it from me. (laughs) My last two years of math, I just copied from my friend.
0: Like I truly
1: stopped learning math actively after 10th grade because I just didn't get it. And so I copied all of her work for two Mm. years. And what are you going to do now? Ty. <laughs>
0: They're taking it back. Oh no. Somebody snitching. <laughs> hey, hey. Michael Chow, who you mentioned earlier, is yeah. snitching right now. Oh wow,
1: no. <laughs> he wow. probably is. He, he broke up with is. you.
0: And he's getting your degree. He's
3: not taken. getting no.
1: I'm gonna hang on to it like Reggie should have hung on to his Heisman. I'm not giving it back <laughs> at all. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Why the Commanders could trade up to number one overall. That's next.
2: Bumpin' Stacy.
0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
1: Taking a look around the NFL, we are gonna start at the Senior Bowl. I know you're gonna talk about this a bit later in Four Down Territory, but Michael Penix sat out the senior bowl after participating in a week's worth of practice in Mobile, Alabama. Good or bad move for him.
0: Good he's done enough. He's not one of these guys who needs the senior bowl to raise his draft stock. What he needs to be able to do is communicate with these coaches, mm-hmm. get on the whiteboard, draw some plays, diagnose film and, and, and break all that stuff down. Go out to practice, show that he's a leader. There's nothing you need to see in an actual game from Michael Penix that will make his draft stock um, go up or down. So no, I, I'm fine with this. And also, my man, six years in a game in college, two knee surgeries. Don't go out there and risk it. I think that was a good move.
1: I absolutely agree. I think, too, like maybe 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 if you think that there's something he could have done that would catapult himself into one of the top two or three quarterbacks being taken, I just don't know that bump and I see any path that
0: that happens. Nah, he is who he is.
1: Yeah, exactly. Next up, Cliff Kingsbury has been hired as the commander's new OC in a surprise move. We all thought it would potentially uh, be the Raiders coaching staff. Kingsbury was, this is of note, Caleb Williams, OC at USC. Do you think now Washington trades up to number one?
0: I think either Washington uh, trades up or... Caleb Williams doesn't have an uh, a, um, an agent yet. So technically, he hasn't officially, even if he does declare he doesn't have an agent, um, he can go back to college and make more money. So now Caleb can use this situation as leverage and say, look, I don't want to go to the Bears. Right, if the Bears are gonna draft me, I'll just go back to college and I'll go play some ball. I'm letting the parent, I'm I'm letting the Bears know right now, don't draft me because I want to go number two to the Commanders where my guy is. And once Cliff uh, Kingsbury got the job, uh, Caleb Williams puts out a post, my dog, congratulations. Caleb Williams is the first college player that can uh, pass up the nfl to make millions and millions of dollars in college football he's the first of uh, of a lot of guys who are going to have this type of leverage afterwards so no i think that um he's playing this correctly if you don't want to go to the bears you have all the leverage and the rights not to and let them know not to draft you or else you're going back to college.
1: Well, the 49ers are having some issues in the week ahead of the Super Bowl and according to uh, Pro Football Talk, it's with the field. So they're practicing at UNLV. UNLV, uh, the NFL, so they're lending their stadium. The NFL laid natural grass over UNLV's existing artificial Mm -hmm. turf. So now staffers think the field is too soft. The team currently considering alternatives because they apparently don't want to practice there. They don't like the field conditions and the lack of firmness for the field. So it says that they just prefer a firmer surface. They can do a couple things. They can bring in completely new sod ahead of Wednesday's practice, or they can negotiate with the NFL and go work at the Raiders facility.
0: Go angle to the Raiders facility. Yeah. And here's the thing, too, is with a situation like this, you would think that there would be some preparation. Like you lay down like 300 square feet of this material. You fill it out. You make sure that it's the safest uh, playing service you can for this group mm-hmm. so that just sounds like somebody didn't do their homework or they didn't double check their work but you want to make sure your guys are safe man go ahead and talk to the Raiders and figure that out if there's any doubt do not step foot on that field in practice
1: all right a report from the athletic that was published today talked about the commander's hiring process they thought they were going to get Johnson then they thought McDonald was a lock and finally they settled on Dan Quinn uh, now they're happy with Dan Quinn according to this article mm-hmm. there's lots to love about Dan Quinn but he wasn't their very very first option mm-hmm. they wanted Johnson than they wanted McDonald, but according to the Athletic, the Seahawks swooped in with more money. I kind of like being on that end.
0: Yeah, I it's like kinda that. It's kind of nice. I like that. Like, look, hey, we, we pay for quality over here. Yeah, look, okay? we got money like we, that. Hey, hey, what, what do you always say? with your broke.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> poor people.
3: To that point, here's Mike
0: Garofalo talking about McDonald's contract. My
3: understanding is this is the highest paid. I don't know what the number is exactly, but he'll be the highest paid first time coach ever. He had two teams there. Yeah, we have two sense. bidders. You can bid one against the other one. That's the kind of stuff that can happen there. So Mike McDonald got himself not only a long deal, Tom,
0: but also a lucrative deal.
1: Jody said write the check. Yeah. Write the check. Whatever it's not it takes. bouncing. Whatever yeah. it takes. Give him a blank check. Have him write a, have write a number down.
0: <laughs> good. And doesn't it feel good to have a team that you support go after what it they want? It feels nice to be go the rich get it. team. <laughs> yeah. Go get it. Go it feels kind of
1: nice to be like, then we came in with a bigger wallet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, how much? Yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, exactly. We got you. That's
1: kind of nice. Panthers head coach Dave Canales will officially retain Ejiro Evero as his defensive coordinator. This isn't a huge surprise. There was rumors he'd remain on staff, but now it's just confirmed he's also going to bring back most of the defensive staff and bump that defense not bad
0: defense wasn't bad at all i think the main thing you need to do as as uh, the head coach dave canales is get this guy to stay put Right? You look at the teams that he's coached, hasn't had the greatest success, but everyone you speak to about Everett says, look, man, this guy, the, the results are just a product of his talent. But when you listen to him, teach his scheme, and what he's asking his guys to do, they predict that eventually it is going to work in this league, man. So, no, I'm good. Dave Canales, I think that's a great move, man. You retain the good ones.
1: Do you want to guess when Le'Veon Bell's last 1,000-yard season was?
0: It was in 2016.
1: You're going to know it. 2017. But you mean his last season before. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right, but 2017. Uh, it was uh, 1,291 yards, nine touchdowns, his last 1,000-yard season. We all know what happened. He missed a season because of a contract dispute. Then he comes back. Then he plays for the Jets. He gets less than 1,000 yards, 789 yards. Then he goes between Kansas City and the Jets again. Doesn't work out. Then he goes uh, to Baltimore, then to Tampa. It just never works out. He has not been able to be the same uh, running back he was since then. Not in the league. Goes on to like a little bit of a boxing career. Turns out he's attempting an NFL comeback and he's only interested in playing for one team, the Steelers.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny how that works, right? right? You make mistakes in life, you go out and try other things and you realize, I had a good thing going there yeah. in the NFL, but also here's a plus, he hasn't been um, tackled for a few years, right? But if you do want to join the Pittsburgh Steelers one, you got to be on good terms with Mike Tomlin, I don't know what that situation is like um, Arthur Smith has to be have to, has to see a future with you, but you also got two really good running backs over there one-two combo with Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, and the final piece, are you willing to take league minimum? Mm-hmm. I know that one point you were pushing to be the highest paid running back yeah. in the game that's why you didn't play that's not who you are anymore so are you willing to uh, take league minimum but do the Steelers even want you on the roster
1: do you want to see him on the Steelers I would roster? love to see him on I want to see it too now yeah. it would be behind Najee Harris Jalen Warren like it would be someone where like you said you're just kind of there being a veteran presence I like the story though I, I'm a, such a sucker for a good NFL story mm-hmm. so like a reunion right it's why I like Jimmy Graham going back to the Saints I think he had like two touchdowns yep. and, and that didn't do much of Anything over there, but you still loved it. Like I'm, I am so here for reunions and full circle moments in the NFL. You like the story. I love the story. You know,
0: the NFL don't like story; they like results. Exactly. They like production. Can you do it at 32 and you've been sitting for a while? If there's a position where you can just get in and go, it's running back.
1: Uh, I know you were talking about Washington's coaching staff when I was talking about the draft pick. Did you already mention Eric Bieniemy? I did not. Okay, I've got this for you. I know you already saw it, but Eric Bieniemy, this broke 15 minutes ago, will not be part of Dan Quinn's coaching staff in Washington. The Seahawks. Uh, wouldn't then need to ask for permission to interview him for the OC Stacy
0: what did I say a couple weeks ago, or a week ago you this, said this you is would, what I would want yeah. right here now if this happens, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, you know what? You are a genius, Michael. You figured this whole football thing out. <laughs> no, nah, not really. But um, you knew with the change that's going on with the commanders and Eric not being not being asked to interview for the head coach job, there was something there that wasn't clicking. He was a Ron Rivera guy. Mm-hmm. So now with the rumors of Chip Kelly going over there, you got Dan Quinn. This makes sense. Bring this man to Seattle. That is a veteran offensive coordinator who is still young enough, I feel like, to connect with these players. Perfect match. Make it happen.
1: All right. um, So... Mike Florio revisited an old story, so some of you already remember this, but uh, we're going to get back to it quickly. Um, it was uh, ESPN had the uh, this like long read on Brock Purdy, and as part of that, uh, Kyle Shanahan said that he would sign Tom Brady to be the starter if they didn't have Brock Purdy back healthy. Uh, and so Mike Florio was like, yeah, it didn't create buzz at the time, but then they reconfirmed uh, with Shanahan, and he said that, yes, indeed. He said, I'm glad you asked me that question. So this one was from Peter King's MMQB column. Or excuse me, no, he's not doing it. MQB anymore. Peter King's calling for NBC. Um, he said, yes, I was serious about it. As we talked, I'm looking at Brock. He's got his arm in a sling, and I'm not sure I've got a quarterback who's going to be ready for the start of the 2023 season. That started all of this. So yes, to confirm a follow-up on a story that like kind of snuck under the radar three mm-hmm. weeks ago, the 49ers did indeed almost sign Tom Brady for the 2023 season.
0: As you should, why not go for the GOAT, right? Look at Joe Flacco. He uh, had a resurgence in his career even if it's just for a year, you go and get a veteran who understands what it is to be a quarterback in the NFL. So you're not teaching all this little stuff right now. Mm You just learn the playbook and terminology. Yeah. Go ahead and get the goat. That would have been interesting to see.
1: I would have loved to see that Uh, from the 40, or maybe I wouldn't from the four (laughs) two five. So Stacy likes full circle reunions. Hopefully she doesn't want Russ back at the Hawks anytime soon. Listen to me. Listen, do I want Russell Wilson back this year? No, I think that I would love to see him (laughs) in Atlanta. However,
3: think of the content.
1: Would a Russell Wilson reunion in Seattle? No, 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 no. I take it back. Would a Russell Wilson reunion with a Pete Carroll coach team make me tune into every single game they play? (laughs) Yes, it would. Yeah, it absolutely would. And I would love that story and I would root for that story and I would be here for that story. Mm -hmm. Such a good story. Why do you not want that? Pete Carroll heading up an NFL team and he signs Russell Wilson as his quarterback they could win no games and I'd still watch.
0: (laughs) That's good content. They'll be like the Jets this year with like seven primetime games. Truly,
1: Pete Carroll trying to find the leak, like Robert (laughs) (laughs) Sala. If you speak up now, you won't get in trouble. I still can't believe that story. Uh, All right. Uh, We're going to have Bob Condotta on at one to talk about the latest with the Seahawks coaching search. We know they're still looking for an OC. Who are some of the prime candidates? Also, we want to check in with him and what he's hearing about the reports uh, of Jay Harbaugh and Leslie Frazier. Before we get to any of that, Mel Kuyper. Takes a look at what Mike McDonald should do in the draft for the Seahawks. Don't go anywhere.
2: Bumpin' Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts,
0: Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost.
1: You know, I want to say one thing before we get to this Mel uh, Kuiper and Field Gates sound, which is some in, for those of you looking ahead already to the draft. Uh, good stuff. Ten seconds, though. Um, really, really interesting discourse happening on the Mac and Jacks text line about Eric Bieniemy as a potential hire. Uh, someone said um, he's not a very good fit. He averaged nineteen point four points a game last year, which is not wrong. This the um, uh, the Commanders uh, were just not great as an entire team. However, uh, the Chiefs also averaged their lowest point total since 2014, 15, I want to say, mm-hmm. and I always think it's interesting. And I'm not even like I. I I don't even know that I'm all in on Eric Bieniemy. Like, I, I wonder what goes on behind the scenes and why he's not, like, a really popular candidate right. all the time. So I do have question marks. But I do find it interesting to attribute, to pick and choose when to attribute things. So this offense, you know, he's responsible for, but, like, not getting credit for winning mm. offense in Kansas City is great. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. Um, didn't get the love we felt he deserved with the Chiefs. Um, obviously Andy Reid is the, the mastermind behind it but there's course. a reason why he kept Eric bien around because he trusted him and then you get thrown into the Washington Commander situation they had some good moments Sam Howell wasn't horrible but you throw 21 interceptions goodness gracious what do you expect your offense to do so I, I see bien when he is surrounded with weapons of things that he was able to do that's why I look at this situation over here with Seattle and I go man if I'm Mike McDonald I'm kicking the tires at least on this thing to see if what he believes is something that lines up with what Mike believes this offense could look like.
1: Yeah, and I'm still – I've always had that question mark of like, but why isn't he – like, you went from being part of the most prolific offense and being an available offensive coordinator and weren't hired. Like, why? Like, what's the what's the question mark? So I'm still stuck on that, but, but I do think that sometimes – as football fans in general, we pick and choose when to attribute things, and that yep. can be a mistake that even I make, too. So I just wanted to yeah, for sure. say that, that I noticed it. Um, let's talk about the draft a little bit, because Mel Kuyper and Field Yates have some good things to say about what they think Mike McDonald and the Seahawks should do. Let's start uh, with Mel Kuyper.
3: You think about where we are in terms of neat areas for this football team, they got to be able to stop the run. They brought in Leonard Williams, right? Gave up a second-round pick. Another guy, I love to give Andre Sweat as a great run-stopper, but you can get him down the line. Certainly, this will be a little high, certainly for the first round. Most people think second round for him. But a run stopper is what Mike McDonald's going to need.
1: So he'll need a run stopper. Uh, yeah. Who do they have on the roster that you're looking for is potentially helping there this upcoming season, including oh, some young guys? Got to then-
0: sign Leonard. Um, Cam Young is on. I think Cam Young... Benefited this year by not playing that much, you get to learn from Jay Reed. Yeah, Jay Reed's on the roster. But no, when you look at that's another name that I almost put on my list when it comes to guys that balled out during the Senior Bowl. Um, Tavondre Sweat. Everything that I saw was him just being dominant. And yes, the um, the Hawks weren't great at. A lot of things on defense, but if you can't stop the run, then you'll never be be able to dictate just the identity of a football game. So yeah, take a look at him. But at sixteen, he's not he wouldn't be the best available defensive player.
1: Exactly, which is kind of what you want to do. And so without knowing the best available defensive player and just looking at positions of need, which of the following three are Seattle's greatest defensively? Off ball linebacker, uh a pass rushing outside linebacker, or run stopper?
0: Oh, easy. Off ball linebacker. Middle middle of the defense, the second level. Again, we'll see what happens with Bobby. Jordan Brooks is the man and needs to be signed, but he needs a partner in crime. If it's not Bobby, even if it is Bobby, you still need somebody to give Bobby a break when needed. Even though he played in ninety eight percent of the snaps this year, which Clinton Hurst said wasn't going to happen, but I think it was more out of necessity Mm -hmm. than uh, them actually wanting to do that. But even if Bobby does come back, you bring him back you need a young LB in the making. Cause I think as far as edge rushers, those outside linebackers, you have some guys, you're about too deep on each side right now that um, you feel they should be okay in that situation. But yeah, it's gotta be interior linebackers inside linebackers. You gotta get some support there.
1: All right. So field gates takes a look at defensive tackle, Byron Murphy, uh, who he thinks would fill Seattle's biggest need at 16. But then he also likes Darius Robinson, a name that you've heard uh, before and talked about before. Uh, a little bit of a later pick, but let's take a listen to Byron Murphy.
0: Let's start with Byron Murphy. This team couldn't stop
2: the run last year. Had an incredible last season with the University of Texas. The other defensive tackle in most people's eyes had five sacks, but also a real impact player against the run.
1: It's interesting because when I hear national experts talk about what Seattle needs, they're looking at things where most people would say the run defense is a problem, get a run stopper. You're pretty dead set on a linebacker.
0: Yeah, I am. And and that's with me assuming that Leonard Williams is going to be back right. too. Important uh, I to think that if, um, if if you can sign him, Jay Reed is back, you got Cam Young, you got something to start with. But if Bobby's not back, who do you got? You got Jordan Brooks, you got Radigan and Nick Ballard. You got mm-hmm. one true inside linebacker when it comes to uh, that second level. So that's that's why I look at that. I understand why they're looking at these, um, these, uh, these D linemen because this team has struggled um, when it comes to stopping the run. But man, if you just let, I think if you let Cam Young develop, and give him more reps, we don't even know what he can truly be at. And I I think that Mike McDonald doesn't either – And this is where he makes his money, right? Developing guys like a Cam Young and like a Daryl Taylor, who I mentioned last week. We'll see if they sign him, though.
1: Of course, the big question for Mel Kuyper is what a former Michigan coach does at number 16, given that a Michigan quarterback's available.
0: The
3: quarterback spot, we know who we have with Seattle, but do we want the heir apparent or do we want to solidify other areas of need for Seattle? You talk about the O-line. You talk about different areas there. I I look at it for Seattle. To me, how highly do they regard JJ? Yep. And if they feel like okay, you know he's not high enough, feel we got to go a different spot. They have three or four key need areas they could address.
1: Under what circumstance, if you were GM Michael Bumpus for the Seahawks, would you ever take not just JJ McCarthy but a quarterback at sixteen?
0: If February sixteenth, you don't extend Gino or, or sign the deal, whatever you got to do to make sure that he's here. Um, that's one situation. Another situation would be if you've broken down the film and you're looking at Gino and say, look, I only think he has a few more years left in the tank, which I don't think is true. I think as at the quarterback spot, you can play a lot longer than most positions. Or if you just really like the dude and you happen to be working with a head coach who knows him personally and physically knows what he can do and can't do and sees him in this uh, this uniform. Those are the situations. I don't think that's the route to go, but I would understand if they went that route, again, best defensive player available. You hired a defensive coach for a reason, probably the best candidate out there. You get a two-for-one. Mm-hmm. He's also defensive coordinator. Your defense wasn't good that year, but I look at this situation and go, best defensive player available, but I would not be surprised, or even angry, if they went J.J. McCarthy.
1: We're hearing rumors and rumblings about some potential hires for the Seahawks coaching staff. Let's ask Seattle Times reporter Bob Condotta what he's hearing next.